This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Seated. Well, if you've been with us at all for the past several weeks, you know that we have been in a series through the New Testament book of Hebrews. And throughout Hebrews, we have seen much about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for us. Throughout the book of Hebrews, we have seen a picture of Jesus as far superior to any other Old Testament patriarch, any other Old Testament prophet. We have seen a picture of Jesus as superior to even the angels. We've seen a picture of Jesus with a crown, with all authority and with all power and with all might. And we've seen a picture of Jesus as our great high priest who paid the ultimate price so that we may receive the forgiveness of our sins. And throughout this series, the call to us, the call to the believer has been hold fast to Jesus. Do not waver. We've talked about how there will always be things in life that are seeking to distract us, that are seeking to get in the way of our relationship with Jesus, and we need to cling tightly to him. This series has been so encouraging to me personally, and I hope it has been for you as well. What this series has reminded me of is that life with Jesus is not just about attending church services. It's not just about offering our time and our resources whenever it is convenient to us, but that life with Jesus is about daily, actively, persistently pursuing and clinging and holding fast to him. That our faith, our walk with Jesus is not meant to be a passive one, but an active one. And in the midst of all this that we've been talking about, Pastor Josh said something last week that's really just, it's landed on my heart and been in my mind all week long. And what he said last week was this. He said that the commands of Jesus confront us, but the heart of Jesus compels us. And I love that. And I'm not just saying I love that because I want brownie points from Pastor Josh whenever he returns. I actually love that quote. That's really helpful to me because what it shows us, it'd be so easy for us to come to a book of like Hebrews, especially those beginning chapters, and to feel that pressure and that weight to perform. That all of this is on us and we've got to white knuckle our way through life and obey Jesus and follow everything that he's commanded us to do. But whenever we truly see his heart then we're, we understand that his commands are not drudgery, but they're delight because he's inviting us into something better. He's inviting us into new life. So we must understand the heart of our God. And so with that in mind, I thought it would be helpful for us just to take some time this morning to further talk about God's heart. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to step away from the book of Hebrews. I'm not going to touch that. We're going to leave that to Pastor Josh whenever he returns. And instead, we're going to go to the New Testament book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to join me there. We're going to look at God's heart for us as displayed through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. 
verses 1 through 10 this morning. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to read verses 1 through 3 together. We're going to talk about it for a little bit. And then we're going to read verses 4 through 10 and talk about that as well. We need to remember that this book, this letter to the Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. And it is written to believers in the city of Ephesus, to the church, to those who are following Jesus. And we're picking up in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. And Paul says this. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And I want you to stop right there. And I understand that after telling you that we're going to talk about God's heart for us, God's love for us, it may sound strange to you to stop after those three verses that are about death and wrath. But I'm telling you, these verses are crucial for us in understanding God's love for us. The reason being is this. This is our first point this morning. If you're a note taker, you might want to jot this one down. Is that to understand the magnitude of God's love for us, we must first understand the magnitude of our sin against God. To understand the magnitude of God's love for us, we must first understand the magnitude of our sin against God. And here's the deal. I know that this is a topic that many of us love to avoid. We don't want to talk about our own sin. It makes us uncomfortable. No one likes talking about their insufficiencies, their failures, and their inadequacies. But we must have a better understanding of our own sin if we are going to appreciate and understand more fully God's love for us. And that's what these first three verses in Ephesians chapter 2 help us to see. Because what they tell us, if Paul tells us in verse 1 that we were all dead in our sins, that prior to a relationship with Jesus, what Paul says is that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And I want you to understand that Paul is using that word dead there very intentionally, very purposefully. Notice he does not say that you were a little broken. He does not say that you were a little dirty, that you were a little messed up. But what he says is that you were dead in your sins, meaning that apart from Jesus, without a relationship with Jesus, we are all born into this world spiritually lifeless and spiritually helpless. The text tells us in verse 3 that this is all of our stories. It says that we all once lived this way in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. That's every single one of us, not just the worst of society, not just the corrupt politician, not just the murderer who's behind bars, but every single one of us. This is all of our stories. And because of this, this text tells us, again, prior to a relationship with Jesus, that we were all children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And now you may hear that, and it may make you squirm a little on the inside, because you may be thinking, okay, I get it, 
I'm not perfect. I know that I've messed up, but a child of wrath? Like, that seems a little excessive. Like, come on, Adam. Like, are you sure a child of wrath? What is this all about? And my fear for us is this. My fear for us is that whether we'd say it out loud or not, we don't think our sins deserve that. Whenever we look at our lives, whenever we truly evaluate ourselves, we really don't think that we're that bad. And we think about ourselves and we think, you know, I'm trying my best. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've messed up a few times, but a child of wrath, like that seems excessive. And I just want to tell you that if that's the way that you think, if that's the way that we think about our own sin, of course, we will never understand God's wrath. But I also want you to know that if that's the way that you think about your sin, you will also never fully appreciate or understand God's love for you. We must understand the magnitude of the bad news so that we can appreciate the magnitude of the good news. We need to know the weight of our own sin. So we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning. All right, we're going to talk about sin. We're going to do a little word study on the word sin. Okay? And so I want you guys to dig in with this, dig in with me on this for just a moment. Okay? I know that this is not something that's always fun to talk about, but we need to have a better understanding of this. Justin, do you have my visual analogy? You can go ahead and come on out. Awesome. So we're going to talk about sin and what it is and what it causes. What you need to understand this morning is that sin in its original language actually means to miss the mark. And it's an archery term. Okay, so you can kind of picture lining up with a target and trying to hit the bullseye, right? I thought about bringing the bow and arrow and trying, but I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of all you guys. It was just a little too much. Okay, this is actually the target that we're going to be using for Camp 78. Really excited about that. But you can kind of picture in your mind, all right, lining up with the target, taking aim at the target. And if you shoot that arrow and you miss the bullseye, then you miss the mark. This is the visual that should come into your mind whenever you think about sin. Sin is missing the mark. But here's the deal. I don't think that that's the part that we have a hard time understanding. I think that the majority of us understand that at least to some degree. We understand that sin is messing up, that sin is falling short. The majority of us in the room this morning have been around church culture long enough to give some kind of definition of what sin is. You've heard it in Bible study, Bible school like a hundred times, right? Like we know a definition of sin. I don't think that we have a problem defining sin per se. The problem that I think that we have, the problem that I've seen in my own life, the problem that I've seen in the lives of students and the problem that I've seen in the lives of my friends and what I imagine the problem that you see in your life too is that sometimes, if we're honest, we don't really know what we're aiming at. We don't know what the target is. And whenever we don't know what the target is, what we tend to do is this. We tend to compare our perceived target to the target of those around us. And we think about our life in relation to those around us. And we evaluate our life by the standards of society around us. And what tends to happen is this, is that we look at our life and we say, yes, I'm not in the dead center. Yes, I didn't hit bullseye, but I'm not that bad. I'm trying my best. I'm going to church. I'm doing the best I can at my job. I'm doing the best that I can in my school. I'm doing the best that I can with my family. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm better than her. I'm better than him. And what we tend to do is that we evaluate ourselves by the targets of others. This is a product of what social psychology, I was reading about this this week, and it's a product of what social psychologists call the better than average 
effect. And what the better than average effect shows is that most people, the vast majority of people, whether in a high socioeconomic status or low, whether incredibly successful in life or behind bars in prison somewhere, the majority of people, when asked to evaluate their life, in the, it, when they're asked to evaluate their lives, say that they're better than most, that they think that they are better than average. Meaning we look at the lives of others and we think, I think I'm doing pretty good. And I'm just here to tell you that not only is that mentality wrong in so many areas of life, but that mentality is deadly whenever it comes to your spiritual life. That mentality will kill you whenever it comes to your spiritual life because you must understand that the target that we are aiming for whenever it comes to the life that we have been called to live, it's not a comparison to the world around us. We're not trying to aim for society standards. The target that we are aiming at with our life is God's standard, God's perfect design. And whenever we see that, we realize that that's a much harder target to hit because the Bible tells us in passages like Matthew 5, 48, that we are called to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect, that we serve a perfect God. And as such, we are called to perfection, that we are meant to live in perfect harmony with him in purity in righteousness and blamelessness before him. It is not society's design that we are held to, but God's design. And it does not matter how well you measure up to other people. It matters how well you measure up to God's perfect design. And whenever we see that, we begin to understand that we're nowhere near the mark. And we begin to understand more fully the truth of passages of scripture like Romans 3.23 that says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, Ephesians 2 tells us that apart from Jesus, we are children of of wrath like the rest of mankind. And I understand that that's, that's a hard topic for us to wrap our minds around as well. The wrath of God is a difficult topic to talk about. It's hard for us to reconcile the goodness of God with his punishment. We see this all the time whenever we're on campus doing surveys with students. So a big question that you get asked is how could a good and loving God send people to hell? How could a good and loving God punish those that he created? It's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. The most helpful analogy that I've ever heard, I read it in a book, I'm gonna change it a little bit for our purposes this morning. It goes a little something like this. Imagine for a moment with me that our worship pastor and I, Ryan Wingo and I, we're having a, a heated debate on who has the better hair, right? We're just getting into it. He's talking to me about his pomade and he's just telling me that he has better hair than I have, right? And so we're getting into it and I just get really mad at Ryan and I reach up and in my anger, slap Ryan in the face. What do you think is going to happen? Ryan's a pretty big guy. He might fight me back. We might get into a little tussle. We might have to talk about it later, but probably after some time had passed and after I apologize, Ryan would hopefully forgive me. Let's take it a step up from there. Let's say that I leave this place and I'm in a hurry to beat all of you to lunch because I don't want to wait in line. And so I'm speeding down Highway 78, going 80 down Highway 78 and a GSP officer is sitting in that racetrack parking lot and he lights me up, pulls me over. And I get mad that this GSP officer has given me a ticket. So I reach out my window and I slap this GSP officer in the face. You're laughing because you know what's going to happen. At the minimum, I'm getting a hefty fine, probably going to jail. That's assaulting a police officer, right? It's a big deal. 
Let's take it one more step up from that. Sam, with our missions pastor, Skype rat, that we're in a foreign country somewhere, we're on a mission trip, and for whatever reason, in this hypothetical scenario that I've made up, we get the opportunity to go to the king of this country's house and have dinner with the king of this nation. And say, I'm sitting at the dinner table with the king of this nation, and he says something that offends me, and I reach up, and I smack this king in the face. What do you think is going to happen to me? Well, depending on the law of the land, depending on where we are, I could immediately be put to death. And so what you see in this silly little analogy is that the offense didn't change. It was always a slap in the face. But what changed was the magnitude of the one offended. What changed was the authority of the one offended. And with greater authority, with greater magnitude comes more severe punishment. And so our tendency is to look at our sin and think that it's insignificant. But we must realize that our sin is not just a sin against ourselves. It's not just a sin against someone else. That's bad enough in and of itself. But our sin, your sin, my sin, no matter how insignificant you may think that it is, is a sin against a holy and perfect God. And our God is the most high. He is the most holy. He is the one with the most authority. And as such, offense against him must be punished. And our sin deserves God's wrath. I want you to feel that this morning. I know it's not fun. And I'm not trying to rub your face in your sin. I'm trying to get you to feel the weight of your sin so that you can more fully appreciate the love that God has for you. Because whenever you feel the weight of your sin, that your sin is deserving of God's just wrath, then the next words that Paul says in Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 10 will bring you to worship. We must understand the magnitude of our sin so that we can understand the magnitude of our God. Because next, what Paul says is this. Read with me in verses 4 through 10. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even whenever we were dead, in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's good news. Look at what Paul says about our God there. Do you see the beauty in this message? Do you feel his heart for you? Do you feel the magnitude of his love this morning? What Paul is saying here is that this God, whom we have all offended, whom we have all rebelled against, that this God did not turn his back on us, but instead continued to pursue us. That in our rebellion and in our sin and in our hopelessness, God did not turn away from us, but that he moved moved toward us and that he didn't ask us to clean ourselves up first, but that he stepped into our brokenness, 
This text shows us that God saw our sinful state. He saw the road that we had created for ourselves and he knew that it only ended in our own destruction. And he was not surprised by that, but he moved into action. That he had a plan for our redemption, for our salvation, so that we may not have to pay the penalty for our sin. And the text tells us in verse 4 that this plan was prompted and motivated by his rich mercy and out of his great love with which he loved us. Out of love, God took on flesh in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, that he did not distance himself from our reality, but he stepped into it personally. He walked the life that you and I walk. He lived the life that you and I live. He was tempted in every way that you and I are. Remember what we talked about last week, that we don't have a great high priest that's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus was tempted in every way that you are, yet he did not sin. This perfect God-man was the only one that continually hit the center of the target of God's perfect design. He never failed. He never sinned. And at the end of his life, he laid down his life on a cross. He became a sacrifice on our behalf. And what we know from scripture is that the wrath of God that should have been poured out on you and on me was instead poured out upon the cross of Calvary. That out of love for you, and for me, for us, out of love, Jesus bore our sin. He took our punishment and he died our death. He did that for you. He did that for me so that we may not have to pay the penalty for sin because what we know is that yes, he died that day, but three days later, he rose from the grave. He defeated death and sin. The curse was broken and the kingdom of light began to advance in our day. And this Jesus whom we serve now stands in victory and out of love for you, he offers a hand to you so that if you would believe that he is the son of God and call upon his name, that you too may be saved. Meaning that you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin anymore. That the weight of that sin can be taken off of your shoulders and put upon the cross. He paid for it for you so that you don't have to pay for it on your own. He paid this price for you and for I for this, because of his heart for us, with his love for us. And what I want you to understand, church, is that this is true for you. One of the things that I think that we've gotten really bad at in church, we, we like to talk about God's love and his promises and his power in a theoretical sense. But sometimes we're not always good at applying it to our actual lives. We're not as good as actually living in it as we should be. And I don't want that for us. I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this in the lives of friends. I've seen this in the lives of students. What we like to do is we like to insist upon defining ourselves by our mistakes instead of defining ourselves by God's grace. And so whenever we fail, whenever we don't measure up, whenever we sin, 
we hold our heads low because we just are insisting on defining ourselves by our failure. And I want you to know this morning that you're not too far gone. Your situation is not helpless. You did not fail too many times. God's love is available for you. He has sent his son to live, die, and rise again so that you may not have to pay the penalty for your sin, but so that you may be set free from it forevermore. That is good news. And I want you to feel the magnitude of his love this morning because whenever you feel that, everything changes. It changes everything. Two quick things about what this does for us in our lives, and then we'll be done. The first thing that we see, I'm taking both of these actually from Ephesians 2 verse 10. The first thing that we see is that God's love redefines us. God's love redefines us. Ephesians 2 10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That whenever we experience God's love, his love redefines us because whenever we come to faith in him and we experience that gift of salvation, we are no longer children of wrath, but we are children of God. We are no longer agents of darkness, but agents of light. We're no longer sons and daughters of disobedience, but we are sons and daughters of the most high king. This text tells us that we're not products of darkness anymore, but that we're products of God's grace. And this means so many things for us. And the biggest thing that I want you to understand this morning is that because of God's grace, that you don't have to define yourself by your failures and your shortcomings anymore. You are defined by his victory that whenever the God in heaven looks down at your life, he does not see your past failures and mistakes, but he sees the perfect sacrifice of his son. He sees his child with whom he is well pleased. And what this means for us is that we get to walk through our life with a confidence, knowing that our God does not define us by our failures anymore, which means that we shouldn't either. We can leave that behind. You don't have to define yourself by your failures. You are defined by God's victory. The enemy loves to get you to believe that you don't measure up, that you're not worthy, that God doesn't care about you. But this word tells us a very different story. This word tells us that yes, we have all sinned. And yes, our sin does deserve the wrath of God. But it also tells us that our King Jesus paid that price in full. And verses like Romans 8, 1 tell us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to get a grip on this because here's the deal, Prince. The world around us does not need a church filled with people who hold their heads low, defining themselves by their failures. It's not what the world needs. The world needs to see a church filled with people who walk through life with their heads held high. Not in any confidence in ourselves. This text is very clear. We only brought sin into the world. We did nothing to earn our salvation. So we don't have confidence in ourselves. But the world needs to see a church who walks through life with their heads held high in confidence in their king, in the one who brings the dead to life, in the one who redefines us by his love. That's what the world needs to see. So you need to understand the magnitude of his love for you. You need to experience, you need to let this love redefine you. You're not a sum of your failures. You are a product of God's grace in the name of Jesus. That in the name of Jesus, dead souls are brought to life and changed into something new. God's love redefines us. And the last thing that we see, the second thing that we see 
is that God's love repurposes us. That as we receive this new identity, he calls us into something new. He calls us into a new life. That his love repurposes us. It text, uh, verse 10 tells us again that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Whenever we come to Christ, whenever we submit our lives to him, we who were once children of darkness now become children of light. Meaning that we who advance the kingdom of darkness now get to be a part of advancing the kingdom of light. We who once celebrated our own glory and pursued our own little kingdoms now get to be a part of celebrating the glory of God and pursuing the advancement of his kingdom. His love changes us from the inside out. It makes us into something new. It creates in us a desire for more than simply advancing ourselves. It creates in us a desire to join in on what God is doing in the world around us. This is the call to us, Prince, that no longer are we to walk in sin anymore, but that we are to walk in the way of righteousness, that he has specific things set aside for you to do, things that he didn't set aside for me, Things that he didn't set aside for Pastor Josh. Things that he's called you to do. He's calling you to participate in the building of his kingdom here. That we're meant to move out into the world and tell others of this love that we have experienced and this God we have come to know. That in the name of Jesus, because of God's grace, you are a product of God's hands. And listen to this. You're a product of God's hands and the products of God's hands are meant to display God's glory. That's who you are. That's what you're meant to be about. That your life should be about making much of King Jesus. Whenever we understand this message more fully, that we are sinners in desperate need of God's grace and that Jesus paid that price, the price that we could have never paid on our own, that he lived the life that we could have never lived on our own. He died the death that we deserve. Then we will become more captivated by his heart. And that's what I want for us. Because listen to this, whenever you are captivated, by God's heart, you will be compelled to join in God's work. And that's what I want for us at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. That's what this is all about. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. I want us to be people who understand the magnitude of our own sin so that we can better understand the magnitude of God's love for us. I want us to be people who understand that we're not better than most, that we are sinners in desperate need of God's grace. And I want us to be people who personally experience that grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ and who see his love redefine and repurpose our lives for the glory of God and the good of the world around us. Amen. Would you pray with me? Just as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to encourage you in this moment. This is, I know this is a heavy thing to talk about. This is, we need to understand the magnitude of our own sin so that we can better understand the magnitude of God's love for us. So here in a moment, the band is going to lead us in another song. Ryan and the team is going to lead us in another song. And maybe you just need to sit for a moment. And consider the weight of your own sin. Maybe you need to consider the weight of your own sin 
so that you can better understand the magnitude, the glory, the greatness of God's love for you. Perhaps you're here in this room this morning and you've never submitted your life to Jesus. You've never given your life to him. You've never confessed to him that you're a sinner in desperate need of his grace. I want you to know that salvation is available to you today. That on your own, apart from him, you're only a child of wrath. But that in his name, you too can become a child of God. Here in a moment, whenever we stand and sing, there's going to be pastors and prayer partners at the front. If you'd like to talk to somebody, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, they'd be honored to pray with you. You can also come to the altar and kneel and, and pray if you need to do that. But however God is calling you to respond, whatever he's stirring in your heart, I want to encourage you, don't leave this place if he's stirring something in your heart. This is the most important moment. Engage. Whatever he's calling you to do, respond. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.